I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 10. Quite a familiar story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is out and about and as is often the case, somebody speaks to him and, and comes to a place where they, they question him. And in this case, it was an expert in the law. On one occasion, from verse 25, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, you know our hearts and you know our spirits, you know our wills, you know that we want to say yes to you and there's so much in us that pulls us in the other direction as Marianne is telling us about, we, we all share that story. We share the story of those clips we've just seen where we say yes to you, we want to serve you, and then it sort of goes off the map when we get distracted. And Lord, we can be so discouraged that in the end we stop even trying. And we just ask that this morning your Holy Spirit will encourage us to know how to make progress in our lives with you. And that instead of being condemned, we would find ourselves understood and also encouraged to to move with you into other places. So we don't want to stay in the same place. We want to know the reality of your life. And we ask you to teach us and and speak to our hearts this morning in your name, Jesus. Amen. I mean, this is the dilemma, isn't it? We talk about God and the kingdom and we talk about how he works and when it comes to our daily, daily grind, whether it's Gary said it's our business, or whether it's uh, making a stand for something in a social setting, or whether it's a relational issue, when it comes, when, when the rubber hits the road, it very often doesn't seem to work out. So we just live under guilt and senses of failures. And last week we were talking about, we've been, we're talking in a broad sense of how to 
live in the promised land. We're talking in a broad sense of how if you've come out of Egypt, if you've come out of slavery, and you're going into the promised land, how do we allow God to take us from a grasshopper mindset into the, the mindset of a giant? It's an identity issue. If Jesus has called us and if we follow Jesus, he has made us new. We are his children. We are heirs to the kingdom. Those are all nice spiritual words. But how does it change our lives in in the way we see things? So that's what we're talking about. Last week we we looked at the um, story of Lazarus and how Lazarus was dead and he was buried by his family. And his family who Jesus loved very much, probably the, the closest family he had while he was alive apart from his own family. They were incredibly disappointed because they cried out to him for help and he didn't come. And eventually Lazarus was dead. And we thought about how they, they had to go and talk to Jesus about that and say, Jesus, I'm disappointed in you. And Jesus wept with them and he said, where have you laid him? And he went to the grave and he said, open it up. And Martha said, it's going to stink in there. And we thought about how those graves resemble us where we have given up on something and we bury it. And we don't go there again because it stinks. And if we actually go through our lives, how many graves there are. We don't go there, we don't go there, we don't go there, we don't go there. And then we say, Jesus, I want your joy. And he says, you may have my joy. But you can't have my joy if if the tombs are closed. And so as he comes into our lives, he starts saying, take me to where you've put that. Just what, like Victoria was talking about. I was carrying stuff. It was, in a, it was in a grave, as it were. And I was carrying it, taking responsibility. He says, why don't you let me in there? And I'll resurrect it. And you won't have to carry the burden of it anymore. And so what Martha thought was stinking, he was saying, this is the redeeming work I do. But you'll never know my redeeming work until you take some risks. Mary Ma- Marianne won't know that Jesus is faithful to her unless she risks making a choice, which is what we saw. None of us will. There's always that moment of choice where we have to take a jump. And if we want a vital Christian life, we start living on that edge. The grasshopper feels condemned and nervous. The giant says, let's go for it. I'm sick of this one. That's when it becomes exhilarating. And so what is what we're talking about? The, the, how do we take ground? How does Jesus become more real? And how do we become more honest and just real ourselves? That's why I show those clips, because that is where we live. We live in the place where we make choices, and those choices impact things. And instead of being condemned, we start learning that we are weak and he is strong. We need one another, as Tish was saying. We've had all of this message, actually, in the, in the testimonies. We need one another. The greatest thing that inhibits God's growth in our lives is our own pride and our own stubbornness because we actually love our sinfulness. So we want to be able to have God but we really want to do what we want. And that's why it becomes a religion rather than a relationship. And it doesn't have any power. So how do we get encouraged with this? The Good Samaritan was the story that came out of Jesus was talking just before where Luke puts the story. He's just spoken about the kingdom of God is open to children, those who are like children. And children are trusting, they're expectant, they have good relationship with their parents, they trust, and they just are full of vibrancy. You know that. 
And he's just finished that when this intellectual lawyer comes up and shouts out from he's total opposite. He's a lawyer. There's nothing wrong with lawyers, but I, I remember sitting, I've told you this I think before, a lawyer, I was trying to deal with a business situation where I felt uh, we were unjust, we weren't treated justly, and he said to me, don't come to me for, for justice, come to me for law. Because the law, the legal system, looks at legalities, not justice. Jesus looks for justice. And the law, lawyer was approaching Jesus with the mentality of, you're from Galilee, you're a carpenter's son, I wonder how smart you are. And I say that because I wonder sometimes how we approach Jesus. Lawyers, and I'm going to caricature now because I don't have an issue with lawyers in terms of everybody's bad. I'm not interested in that sort of statement. I'm merely going looking for loopholes. How do you live your life with God? Is it living, looking for loopholes, what you can get away with, or is it just saying, it's all yours, just teach me how to walk this way? I've given up on the loopholes, it's not worth it, because there's nothing that is, there's a loophole into nothing. God's idea is, just trust me with the journey, and you'll work it out on your way. And so the lawyer came to Jesus to test him. And Jesus, and he says, uh, you know, how, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, he says, how do you see it? He says, love the Lord your God. He, he, he speaks all the legal terms, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, which is actually everything. There isn't a loophole after you finish that. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything in you and then love your neighbor unconditionally. That's pretty much the Christian gospel. And so Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly, so do it, and you will live. And at that point, he discloses his character and his personality, because he then says, well, who's my neighbor? In other words, there must be some application that I don't have to do that. And Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And he takes out of that story characters like a priest and a Levite who are the sort of aristocracy of the religious establishment. And they walked by on the other side because they knew the law. They could quote the scriptures. They'd studied at universities. They were professional religious people. There are probably going to be a lot of professional religious people who are not going to be where they think they might be. And he takes the Samaritan who is half caste, a half Jew, half everything, he's despised. And he says, the Samaritan was coming along and he saw this man in trouble and he had compassion on him. And he, he bathed his wounds with wine and oil, not with just water. He gave him the expensive stuff. And he put him on his donkey and he took him to an inn. And when he went to the inn, he said, here's some money to look after him. And when I come back, I'll pay you anything extra. In other words, the Samaritan did not speak and regard this man as somebody I've got to legally look after, but I'll give him a minimum. He just cared for him generously and really quite extravagantly, and at a cost to himself. 
And Jesus seemed to say, that's what I call you to do. Why? Because I just picked you up. And I didn't put you on a donkey, I put you on my back and I took you through the cross. And I paid for everything that's caused wounds in you. And one day you will be with me. But I've laid down my life for you. So, I didn't withhold anything from you. I haven't withheld anything. So I call you, if you really understand what I've done for you, to unconditionally give yourself to me and to those around you. You see, Jesus was saying, love is, love is what it's, everything is about love. And the law just describes what it sees when love is fulfilled. So what does God desire for us? How do we take ground with him? How do we become like that? Because what Jesus is saying ultimately is the way people will come to a revelation of my love for them will be through the people who are already following me loving them unconditionally. So how do people see Jesus in me? Are they going to see Jesus in me because I'm perfect? Or are they going to see Jesus in me because I'm transparent? Are they going to see Jesus in me because I've got my act together and everything's right? Or are they going to see Jesus in me because I don't have my act together, but I'm trying. And I'm quick to be corrected, and I'm quick to say I'm sorry, and I'm quick to say I don't know how to do this. And I'm quick to go, Jesus is the only reason I'm even standing here. And it's because of Jesus I can pray for you, because it's him and me. I have nothing. So, I lean on him all the time. Without him there is nothing to offer. There is no hope, there is no joy, there is no life. You can't find life, hope, joy, peace. You can't find those anywhere. Those are byproducts of a relationship with Jesus. So, it's all about allowing him to love me in order that I might learn how to love others. And that's an ongoing work. I have got huge areas of growth in understanding the love of the Father, in understanding how to love unconditionally, how to be vulnerable. I've got huge areas of growth. So have you. Does that mean I can't do anything? No, it just means I know that. Does that mean I'm defending it? No, I'm not defending it. And it's incomplete. The world is hungry, hungry, hungry for people who are incomplete like them who have found somewhere that gives them hope. That's all and everything. That in the midst of the pain and suffering of this world, these people stand out because they have a joy, even though their circumstances are not wonderful. Because they know a God who loves them unconditionally. That's what God is desiring for us. And the problem in the Western world is that we spend our time trying to get good circumstances and luxuries and then we will have time for God. And we are the most impoverished of people. 
I don't want to make light of this, but you know Tiger Woods is on the right now. And all the reason I'm saying is, what do you think's going on there? You know, a car crash, a wife with a golf club is not, you know, it's not difficult to work out anger issues. And I really am not being funny here. What I'm saying is, you can have all the fame in the world, you can have all the skill in the world, you can have all the money in the world. But what's Tiger Woods, I bet you, his biggest challenge? It's going to be relationships. What happens when you're not hitting a golf ball? Who are you? Doesn't matter where you highest person. I listened to a, a documentary on, on Friday. I just happened to come across it on the, on the Truth Commissions in South Africa that were held you know, quite a few years ago now, but these were, where during the apartheid regime atrocities were, were performed that were terrible. And there were these four boys who were in their late teens uh, in a township outside Cape Town. I, I mean, I've been to these places and and they were, walk- they were, they were infiltrated by one of a, a secret policeman who was black. And I think they were sort of primed. And then one day they were walking, they left home after breakfast and they were walking down the street and the police trapped them. And they basically videoed this stuff and they shot them. The guy surrendered, he put his hands up and he was shot. And they showed videos of these kids lying on the ground with you know, bullets in their head. At the Truth and Reconciliation Commission meeting, you know, they have them, they showed this video, the mothers are there, weeping, and they're lamenting that they leave because they're so upset, they haven't seen anything for a couple of years. And you see the people who perpetrated the crime there as well, and some of them are more apparently remorseful than others. And then this one guy, this one black guy who had shot some of these kids and said so, and he said at the time, he said, you don't feel anything, you just go home afterwards. If you start feeling something, you drink. The ability of the human spirit to be desensitized is incredible. And it's not just harmed criminals. We are terribly desensitized to the Spirit of God. And this guy met with the women, the mothers, and asked, he said, I ask you to forgive me from the bottom of my heart. And I think he meant it. The one woman looked at him and said, I'll never forget your face and I'll never forgive you. Maybe she changed her mind. Another woman cried and said, what do we do? My son used to work for me and we don't have pensions, we have nothing. And then a little later, she looks at him, this big African woman, no education probably, spent a whole life trying to work life out and she says, you're the same age as my son was. And Jesus went to the cross and said, we have to forgive one another. So my son, I forgive you. Go and make a life for yourself. But I forgive you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about an extraordinary power of an extraordinary God to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And he's saying, if you learn how to let me love you, you will love others in a way that surprises you. But if I can't get at the graves that are still in you, 
you won't get the joy that comes in the resurrection. And that's a lifelong process. It's not going to be just one moment. It's a lifelong process. And the joy is that he's always wanting to walk with us. How do we get motivated to say yes to Jesus? Let him come close to our hearts and meet us where we are. Jesus is never ever going to throw the rule book at you. He's really going to say, what are you afraid of? Where are you hurting right now? Just like a father would say to a child. He's sitting right in front, he's standing right in front of you right now and he says, so how are you doing? How's your heart? When did you last let your heart beat? Or are you just coping? He said, I've come to bring you life. I'm not interested in the label you put on yourself. I've come to bring you life. What are you carrying that you don't need to carry? Like a father to a child. Every day it's like an embrace. Shut up. I'm just telling you that I love you right now. And you're so afraid. Don't be afraid. And when God starts touching you there, you won't need the Lord book either anymore. Because you'll be saying, Lord, how do I love like that? That's what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. It's about a response that comes out of a heart that is open. And the battle for identity, the battle for knowing this kind of love is the little choices we make one step at a time. That's what that clip was about. The woman who says, I'll come back to that in a minute. Maybe I won't. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, we do not wage war as the world does. And the way the, the, you know, I look at that woman who's sitting there and Jesus says, okay, Kath, let's, let's do something now. And she sits down and says, well, I always sit here. And we know the story. I would have not been as gracious. I would have said, you know, I'm so tired of you telling me you're going to do something and never do it. And how much time are you spending watching television? And goodness me, you don't need any more popcorn. And I probably would have been insulting and angry. Certainly the second or third time that happened. The thing that I noticed that I thought they did very well there is that God is in, God, God's spirit and God is actually very gentle. And what I mean by that is he doesn't force. He, he can. He could kill us right then. But he just goes, all right. In a sense, let me know when you're ready. But the victories are won in those moments, those decisions. They're not in huge proclamations. They're the little decisions we make day by day by day by day that actually make huge things happen.
So, the grasshopper and the giant. The grasshopper has been a slave, a victim of circumstances all his life. The giant is the one who God created you to be. He's strong, he's firm, his vision, he's secure. Think about this, you make some decision. I don't know what it would be. Because you're a Christian, because you're following Jesus, it might be... Let's use an easy one. I, you know, I will attend, I will be there on Tuesday evenings. So if you were Satan, because we're in a battleground all the time, we're in a spiritual battle. If you were Satan, how would you attack you? You have just said, um, I'm going to be there at Tuesdays at 7. Because they said it's good for us to meet together and uh, you know, I'm a sort of, you know, I, I need a bit of encouragement. But, uh, and you were Satan, how would you attack you? Do you think? I'm tired. I'm busy. Um, Some of us, Satan just throws a shiny object, somebody phones up. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, sure, okay. Oh man, somebody can't. Why don't you invite people around? How would people, how would Satan tempt you I bet you every single one of us knows our Achilles heel our family needs something somebody needing something is a huge one that is, it's a really cool one because it works so well because it's compassionate and it's kind and didn't you talk about the good Samaritan and all that stuff but if you know, this, if you know the, the wiles of the enemy, you'll know that as soon as you start saying, I'm going to invest something in my own spiritual life with Jesus, he will give you a very Christian out. And so, you never get there. Because you're too busy being Jesus, or carrying the burdens. There's a point where we need to feed our own spirits. And if we don't, we don't go anywhere. So think about that, because you'll, you'll actually know then what to expect. Some of us have already said, I don't make commitments, so I don't have to be disappointed. I don't actually commit myself to anything in case something else turns up. But the way to actually grow in a Christian faith is to put some markers down. And say, Lord... What are you calling me to do? And the way to put markers down is to ask him what he thinks you should be doing. And the other thing to do is to ask other people, not in your family, what they think you should be doing. It's got nothing to do with uh, being controlled by everybody. It's just about testing honesty and integrity. And it's not bad, you know. It's, it, it actually can be fun. But when we start off, it'll be, oh man, that popcorn on television looks good. And what's all that about? That's about God wanting to say, I want to teach you how to live as a child in whom I delight. It's all about his heart relationship. The grasshopper mentality looks after itself. 
is very self-focused. I need stuff to eat. I've got to be looked after. I need to be secure. I need, I need, I need. That's what the grasshopper mentality is. The giant is, he will take care of me. What does he want me to do? Finish with this. So, being motivated is about keeping company as Jesus with other people. Now, Brad mentioned this, and, and I'm glad he did because I'm mentioning it too. And if you come on Tuesday night, a Tuesday night is going to be about how the our experiences and images of fathers in our lives impacts our relationship with God. And again, these, these are issues that go on all our lives. They're not sort of, oh, you work it out once. It's a process of walking into something and out of something else. Um, but the one point that is being made there as well is talking about ungodly beliefs. And an ungodly belief is one that appears to be absolutely true based on the facts of our experience. An ungodly belief is a belief that appears to be absolutely true because of our experience. But does not line up with God's word. It is actually absolutely false. Probably the most of what God is wanting the Father is wanting to do with all of us is change those around. No one loves me would be an ungodly belief. I'm all alone. I'm defective. Something's wrong with me. I just don't have the willpower. God doesn't love me. I'm not talking about making those little comments in your head. I'm talking about those being in the core of your being. It's easy to talk. But I'm talking about how we live. It's too late for me. I'm too old. I don't have anything to offer. I'll just fail anyway. There are lots and lots and lots of them. Listen to this that I came across about a belief system. If you accept a belief, you reap a thought. If you sow a thought, you reap an attitude. If you sow an attitude, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. So your core beliefs about you and God are the foundation out of which you live your life. And the fruit of your life, you can work the other way around, will show you what your core belief actually is. That's why it's easy to say, if you really want to see the fruit of your life, what that fruit is, look at how you spend your time, look at how you spend your money. It will show you what your priorities are. It's not about condemning, it's just about looking at it. And all God the Father is saying to us is let me love you into a fuller life than what you have now. And if Tiger Woods isn't happy with what he's got, 
None of us are ever going to find happiness without Jesus and even with Jesus we spend our lives learning what that means. That's why we're progressing into the kingdom. But the biggest problem we have is that we we try and do it in private and alone and it never works that way because that's where darkness lives. We don't have the strength so we need one another. So the way to stand to this thing and take ground. Three quick, quick points and I'm done. The way to stand, if you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, security, self-control, fulfillment, then pursue Jesus and let him pursue you. How do you do that? You meet with those who are following him and you learn what the scriptures say. That's one way. You know your areas of vulnerability and your areas of attack. Just like I've just asked you, if you were Satan, how would you attack you? That will show you your areas that you already know are weaknesses for you. Now instead of just saying, oh I can't do that, you just go, Jesus I'm going to ask you to help me with this. Because I know that this is my weakness. So I'm going to be on my guard for that. You've got to feed the giant. And you feed the giant with learning how to worship. Worship is about proclaiming truths about God to your heart when your head is telling you something else. And as you do that, it will change your, your mind. That's a discipline. You need to say, Lord, what is truth here? Because he said truth will set you free, not bullshit. Sorry, that's the Greek word for lies. Deception. Uh, sorry, David, I've always got to make a disclaimer because he would never use that word and it gets all embarrassed. But, uh, oh, thank you. Amen. Oh. But you know what I'm saying. The truth will set us free. He loves us enough to get in our face and say, Why are you doing this again? Who are you kidding? And the only way you can get in our face is through one another. There really isn't any other way. Because we're too full of self-deception. But he'll get in our face, you know what? More often than not to say, I like you. More often than not it's about, I love you. Why are you continuing with this? This This is false, this is true. So we need one another. And we need Jesus living in us. And we need the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. Just, Lord, I thank you that you live in me. I thank you that I am your child, I am your son. I thank you that you are my father. I want to know the reality of that. We need to talk to ourselves like that. Talk out of truth. Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. But nothing I've ever done is enough to keep me from you. So I walk into your forgiveness now. Thank you that you forgive me. And anything that comes toward me that is condemning, I just give it to you and say, Lord, yeah, that's right, I'm, I'm sorry, and I ask you to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, that I walk and live under grace. So when anybody comes along and criticizes me, you say, yeah, I'm just a practicing Christian. I'm still trying. I'm failing and I'm trying. And um, Just don't do that in isolation, because then you'll also be liable. But it's, it's walking in grace, which says, God is doing in me what I can't do, and I'm just asking him and giving him permission to do that. And together we keep each other honest. But that's how we'll take ground. If you want to explode a church and explode a, a, a Christian community into this valley, that's how you'll do it. It's not going to be about, oh God, please change everybody in this valley. 
He's going to say, why should I do to them what you won't let me do to you? How come you're asking everybody else to know about me and you don't even like knowing about me yourself? You just have a superficial relationship. You visit me like I'm a third park resident. You thought that part of me had died, didn't you? <laughs> um, so, feed the giant, kill the grasshopper, and let the Holy Spirit fan into flame the love of the Father in our hearts. Let's stand. So Jesus is before us and his I was just standing there just let him be with you for a minute and Holy Spirit just pray that you will speak to our hearts in our own personal relationship with you right now as we're in your company we confess to you our fears Tell him in your own heart the reasons why you withhold yourself from him. I mean, he knows, but he wants to hear from you. He's not condemning. He's just saying, why don't you tell me? What are you afraid of? Were you angry with me, perhaps? Because Lord, we're wanting to be real with you. We're wanting a real relationship that has power. And so we just give you all the stuff that maybe we've taken hold of or gets in the way or we've become disillusioned about. just move into thanking him for his love for you. He doesn't reject you. He's actually thrilled that you would even talk to him. He might convict you of some things where he says you need to deal with this. As we said last week, why would we go through the indignities of physical surgery for health of a body and not be prepared to go through some indignities as we allow God's Spirit to work in our lives? So, Holy Spirit, will you come and just re- re- release revelation of your love and your presence among us? Give us new insights, new experiences of you so that we would live out of a love relationship, not out of a legal one.